Hello, and welcome back to another episode. But have you heard about? I am joined again by my guest, Anna, and we're going to talk about that second topic talking about that Wilmington coup of 1898. So, the only coup that ever actually happened on American soil happened in the city of Wilmington, North Carolina. And to understand why it happened and how it happened, we got to go back to the Civil War because. <laughs> Everything starts in the Civil War, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. So Wilmington has a population of like 25,000 people around 1860, 55% they're Black people, whether they be freedmen or they're slaves. So after the Civil War and the ratification of the 14th Amendment, where Black people are able to vote and hold offices, the city became very much, you know, a great place to live if you were Black. They're building a community for themselves. They own Black businesses. A lot of restaurants were Black-owned, even though they didn't own their property because the white people owned it, because they had better interest rates than Black people. They still were able to thrive there. And they had like their own neighborhood. It was an up and coming. It was great. However, once former Confederate soldiers could vote again in North Carolina, the Republicans basically got ousted by um, by Democrats. And when they decided to take state power around 870, um, they developed a plan to reverse the home rule, meaning local officials would no longer be elected, but appointed by the state government. They also limited the state's judiciary branches. So you couldn't have anyone elected from home. It was mostly from the state, which was then controlled by Democrats. They adopted 30 amendments, which included rescinding votes of only some criminals, mandating segregation in public schools, outlawing interracial relationships, and granting the General Assembly the power to nullify any local government. Basically, the state can come into your town, even if it's all Black people, and say that Black people can't be in charge of themselves, they're going to bring white people in. Or if they didn't like that there was Republicans in a part of the the area, they would be like, nope, we're going to bring Democrats in. Mm -hmm. Seems great. So basically all they did was kind of like prop up elites, in a sense. And the poor white people, as well as Blacks and Republicans, were like, this isn't working out. So they created their own party, the Fusionist Party, which included basically the working man. And they ran on a campaign after that, after all of these things came out closer to like the 1890s, 80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, and I think 1890s. Came in, undid a lot of what the Democrats had done. And we're like, okay, there was a lot of poor white people. They try to set them up to be a little bit better off than what they had been under the Democrats. But the Democrats were like, I can't give up power we can't give a power easily. We're still upset about 30 years ago when we were thought we were going to win the Civil War because that's just how it be. Yeah. So the Democratic State Party Chairman Simmons used his knowledge of history, just like I do every day, to use racial resentment as a reason to get people to vote for the Democratic Party. And he used a quote from the Caucasian, which was a real paper no. written by <laughs> Marion Butler and said, there is but one chance and but one hope for railroads to capture the next legislator. And that is for the N-word to be made the issue. Basically saying, no one cares about the unions. No one cares about the working man. We only care that we all, as white people, don't like black people. Right. And that was their platform. They ran on white supremacy, basically. And so in 1898, the beginning when he was elected as the state party chairman, he built this whole campaign around white supremacy. Great way to rally your base. Oh, yeah. So leading up to this, we have this lady named Rebecca Latmere Felton, and she's a prominent woman suffragist. You would think that she would be on the rights of Republicans. Maybe, you know, no, man, she's a freaking racist. Oh, yeah. So let me give you a quote about her because this started a whole shitstorm avalanche of crazy. So she is exactly why we can't have nice things. Exactly. And she wrote it as Mrs. W.H. Felton, which obviously is her husband's initials. Of course. 
When there is not enough religion in the pulpit to organize a crusade against sin, nor justice in the courthouse to promptly punish crime, nor manhood enough in the nation to put a sheltering arm about innocence and virtue, if it needs lynching to protect women's dearest possession from the ravening human beasts, then I say lynch a thousand times a week if necessary. So this was said in response to her accusations, as well as other white people's accusations, that white women who were at home while their husbands were working, whatever they were doing, were getting raped all the time by black men. They needed to be lynched. They needed to be controlled. They needed to be put in their place. But there was really, other than he said, she versus she said, and definitely has come out that there's been consensual sex. Mm Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, you could just be like, I don't like how they looked at me, which definitely happened in multiple cases before the civil rights movements um, in the South. Yeah, there are hundreds of those. So many. So you have this whole thing basically saying we need to lynch black men because, you know, they looked at a woman funny and in her mind, she was raped because poor white lady. That's so Black people can't be held down. In Wilmington, they had a lot of Black-owned businesses, right. one of which was a newspaper. And one of the editors was a 32-year-old Black man named Alexander Manley, who wrote an editorial refuting it and addressing white women having consensual sex with Black men. Obviously, that ain't going to go over well. Oh, no. So I'm going to read a quote from toward the end of it. You can always go and read this. It's long. I'm not going to read it to you unless, you know, somebody wants to pay me a dollar and I'll read the whole thing to you. (laughs) So you set yourselves down as a lot of carping hypocrites. In fact, you cry loud to the virtue of your women while you seek to destroy the morality of ours. Don't ever think that your women will remain pure while you are debauching ours. You sow the seeds. The harvest will come in due time. Obviously, This ain't going to sit well with white people in the South in the 1800s. So the Democratic State Party Chairman Simmons over here is using this. All of these white supremacist style newspapers, people that are supporting white supremacy in North Carolina, take this editorial out of context, use it to make it sound like black men over here saying that white women only want to have sex with black men now. So starting in October of 1898, and just to give reference, the whole coup of Wilmington happened in November of 1898. So starting in October, they started holding rallies. The Democrats started holding rallies throughout the state, basically pushing their agenda of white supremacy by saying that the Black man has too much power, they're doing too much. And the very first one on October 20th of 1898 in Fayetteville, they staged their largest political rally. There was a group called the Red Shirts, which basically were kind of... I'm trying to think of a good way to say they're like their own militia. Right. So paramilitary and they made their North Carolina debut and there's 300 of them and they accompanied 22 and I quote virtuous young white ladies <laughs> in a parade <laughs> where cannons were fired and a brass band played because the only way to show virtue of white women in the 1800s is obviously with cannons <laughs> and being cannons surrounded. Make everything better. Exactly. <laughs> They also had a guest of honor who was a South Carolina senator, Ben Tillman, who chastised the white men of North Carolina for not yet, and I quote, killing that damn inward editor, talking about Manley, who said it might have been consensual, and bragging that Manley would be dead if his editorial had been published in South Carolina, obviously versus North Carolina, when it came to Blacks advocating a shotgun policy. So you have all this turmoil leading up throughout the state. And it just basically goes crazy when elections start happening. They actually have like a white supremacy convention in in October toward the end, around like the 28th or so. Mm -hmm. And they have a crowd of 8,000 people show up to hear prominent Democrats, white supremacist leaders talk, which is crazy. Going on, getting closer to that election that's supposed to happen in 1898. 
They start using the red shirts for intimidation. The white people all throughout North Carolina, basically anytime they see someone that they suspect is a Republican or black people, they don't allow them to congregate together. Wow. Yeah. So if there was more than like a family, so like if it was you with your whole family and you're mm-hmm. black, you could be out together, but you couldn't really be out very long without people giving you, what are you doing? Yeah. They would make you leave because they think that you're going to go and burn down your employer's houses. You're going to go, you know, cause a riot when in all honesty, nothing happened because they were like, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> These white people are crazy. And so you still have that populist party that kind of came out of the fusion party And they would accuse the Democrats of crying the N-word to distract from the issues at hand, not actually caring about the people of North Carolina. They were like, all you see is color. Yeah. Very much so super duper true. So they also had like a white man's rally. Of course they did. (laughs) In November, early November. And it just, it just gets worse. Yeah, it is. November 8th is the election day. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Most Blacks and many Republicans didn't even go vote. Because <laughs> wow. they didn't want to be a part of the violence. And red shirts literally brought, blocked every road leading in and out of the city and drove potential Black voters away with gunfire. Wow. Yeah. So the current governor at the time who had withdrawn his name from the ballot in, in the county for Wilmington decided to come to Wilmington because it was his home. Mm-hmm. And he thought be able to calm the situation. When his train arrived, these red shirts swarmed his train car and tried to lynch him. This is a white man. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So when the day was over, Democrats won 6,000 votes overall, which was sizable. Yeah. Given that the Fusion Party, which had won previously, won 5,000 votes two years earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, it was uh, determined that there was definitely a net increase. It was election fraud. So... Bad juju went down around mm-hmm. election, even though the Democrats won just basically single-handedly, they decided they needed to like basically rub it in their face. Mm-hmm. And also, I may not be giving justice to this wonderful cause and because there's not much written about it. Yeah. When they went to go research what happened, they actually had to go and look at a newspaper articles from other cities because everything that happened there had been destroyed. Because as we're about to find out, things went south real fast. So at the end of the election day, there was a secret nine that met with the committee of 25 because heaven forbid everybody just be on one boat together. And they Mm -hmm. created a white declaration of independence. You won. I don't know why you needed more, but okay. It wasn't enough. It wasn't. And they basically wanted to get rid of Manly. They wanted him out of town. They wanted him to stop with his business, get out of town. Don't want to see the man ever again. And they went to a committee of colored citizens, about a group of 32 prominent black citizens, and they summoned them to the courthouse. And they were like, look, we have an ultimatum. Get the rest of the city's black citizens to fall in line. And when the black men that were there asked to reason with them and pleaded that they could not control what Manly did or what any other black person would do, the lovely white people were like, the time has passed for words. What words? This doesn't seem, this seems very lopsided. Anyways, bads or stuff went down. They went and wrote these little decrees to each other, mm-hmm. like writing notes, but like harsh notes in elementary school, being very up unhappy. Mm-hmm. Not to play light on the subject because it gets really bad. It gets real bad. So the black men left the courthouse, went to a barber shop, and they wrote a reply to the committee's ultimatum. We, the colored citizens, to whom was referred the matter of expulsion from the community of the person and press of A.L. Manley, beg most respectfully to say that we are no way responsible for, nor in any way condone, 
the obnoxious article that called forth your actions. Neither are we authorized to act for him in this manner, but in the interest of peace, we will most willingly use our influence to have your wishes carried out. The piece in question is the one I mentioned earlier, which basically said Manly was like, again, white woman, probably not getting raped, but a lot of other things were also said. Again, pay me a dollar, I'll read you the whole thing in my fun voice. So basically, when the white people in their little committees did not receive a response by the following morning on the 10th of November, he gathered 500 white businessmen and veterans of obviously the Confederacy (laughs) to the Wilmington's armory. After heavily arming themselves with rifles and the Gatling gun, they then led themselves to the two-story publishing office of the Daily Record, which is where Manley worked. Mm -hmm. They broke into his building, vandalized the premises, doused the wood floors with kerosene, set the building on fire, and gutted the remains. So at the time, Black newspapers all over the state were already being destroyed, were also being destroyed. In addition, Blacks, along with white Republicans, were denied entrance to city centers throughout the state. Following the fire, the mob of white vigilantes swelled to about 2,000 men. A rumor circulated that some Blacks had fired on a small group of white men a mile away from the printing office. White men then went into Black Wilmington neighborhoods, destroying Black businesses and property and assaulting Black inhabitants with a mentality of killing every damn inward in sight. And this is all just two days after the election. And they basically won. There was yeah. no reason for them. They were going to get what they wanted from like five years prior. Yeah. But it's not enough for some people. Obviously not. <sighs> yeah. So this group of 2,000 angry white men drove out the elected government of the city and they rioted. They were armed with shotguns. The mob attacked Blacks throughout Wilmington, but primarily in Brooklyn, which is a majority Black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. As the violence spread, they led the group to the Republican mayor, Silas P. Wright, and they forced Wright, the board of aldermen, and the police chiefs to resign at gunpoint. So this is where the whole coup comes in. So because of an article written by one person, Mm -hmm. because they wanted to refute what this crazy white woman suffragette said. I mean, maybe she wasn't crazy, but she sounds intriguing at most because of that they decided to hold all these rallies to incite violence and hatred because black people are horrible to them god forbid they say something back exactly (laughs) they basically took the town of wilmington drove out the elected officials because even though they won the election they were still unhappy and they wanted to burn black businesses and just basically drive black people back to nothing because black people already had it bad they had no inheritance unlike a lot of white people when you know your family passes away, they might have like, you know, back then, like maybe 10, 20 bucks they can give you. Mm -hmm. You could go and buy a house or you had land. Yeah. They didn't have anything. Um, They basically declared the leader of the mob. His name is Waddle. W-A-D-D-E-L-L. I'm going to call him Waddle. Maybe it's Waddle. Waddle Waddle. Anyways, he became mayor. And once he was declared mayor, those little secret groups gave him a list of prominent Republicans they wanted to banish. Wow. Yeah. So they basically marched people out of Wilmington. They, and they was uh, mostly black people on that list. Some of it already fled, but they marched black people out of the city and they put them on a train headed north in a special car with armed guards who were instructed to take them over the state line. Wow. Uh, Waddle then gathered the whites that were on the list and paraded them in front of a large crowd, allowing one of the members to be dragged on the ground and nearly lynched from a telephone pole before he was allowed to board the train and leave the city. Dang. There are um, individuals that would call the coup a success. I would not call that a success. I would call that a coup, and the U.S. government should have stepped in. 
and been like, yeah, we don't, we don't allow this. It's not how this works. But um, we don't have social media back in the 1800s. Mark Zuckerberg wasn't around trying to hook up with other college or rate his classmates at Harvard <laughs> at the time. So we didn't have the special Facebook back in the day, but they called it a success because they drove out what they didn't want. Mm-hmm. So they decided that they got to do their own rebellion because they didn't feel the government was working for them. The classist elite white people who didn't really work with the poor white people, just the people who had money and the people who had been officers in the Confederacy, most likely, versus people that were just foot soldiers in the Confederacy are the ones who are like, yeah, nope, this is bad. Mm -hmm. So the estimates of death associated with this coup is between 60 and 300 Black people alone. Wow. And they banished about 20 more people from the city of Wilmington. I had no idea we actually had a coup on American soil. That's something that was glossed over my American history classes in high school. And I didn't have to take it in college because I took AP US history and passed the class. And now I kind of wish I took it in college. Not only that, but like several of the perpetrators were like, they were put in like top lists over the great people of <laughs> yeah later on. So yeah, you have these people that literally were instigators going around being like, kill the black people mm-hmm. that were then put on, you know, with the Wright brothers yeah. for great people of North Carolina. Yeah. So one of the reasons that not one, but I would say probably the chief reason that this coup is important and not just because they remember that there was a coup But the event initiated an era of more severe racial segregation and effective disenfranchisement of African-Americans throughout the South, a shift already underway by other states as well, starting even in 1890 with like Mississippi, Alabama, just the things that they were doing and raising barriers to voter registration. Civil rights wasn't for like another 70 something years Mm -hmm. and you don't have the ability to vote. So, you know, you had a prosperous movement happening, but you then see that you're not allowed to make it because white people just don't like it. And it's silly. I mean, like I have said this multiple times on here, I'm not the whitest of white people. <laughs> Me speaking on this is not as powerful as somebody who is a person of color or is black yeah. and hearing these things, but it basically was an affirmation of white supremacy, not just in Wilmington, but in the South and even in the nation as a whole, because nobody came to help. And you had literally a senator from South Carolina come in to be like, if this man was in our state, we would have shot him with a shotgun. You know, there was no equal protection Mm -mm. under the law for Blacks, even under the 14th Amendment. Like it really wasn't being granted. Mm -mm. Furthermore, the white press in Wilmington, which is what basically history used because the Black newspaper was burnt down and they described the event as a race riot caused by Blacks. However, over time, now we know with more facts publicized, the event has just come to be seen as a coup by white people who were upset and they literally had won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. They have literally a violent overthrow of a duly elected government by a group of white supremacists. Yeah. And it is claimed to be the only such event in American history. And the fact that we don't talk about it. I feel like out of all of the Reconstruction era stuff, this is probably something that should have been talked about as opposed to me having to learn what the term carpetbagger meant. Yeah. Because they don't, they didn't even talk about it at all. The location where this paper used to be, mm-hmm. it's now a parking lot for a church. There isn't any marker. There isn't anything. There is, you have no idea when you pull into this church parking lot that this was the same location of a black owned newspaper that was burned to the ground. Yeah. You know, having those tough conversations and owning the past. Right. We have, we have a horrible problem in this country of owning up to things that we've done in the past and just kind of being like, you can talk about the good things mm-hmm. and you can talk about, but you also need to talk about the bad things. Oh yeah, for sure. And this is definitely one of them, especially with the instigators of their little secret nine and their committee of 25. Mm-hmm. And the fact that those people are the ones that were on lists for 
you know, most prominent or help. Um, so instead of having people like this on a list for most important, you, if you want to put it, you can have them. I mean, on they list. were on the same list as the Wright brothers. Yeah. You could put them on this list, but there needs to be an asterisk that also says, oh yeah, they also started a coup. So maybe they shouldn't be on this list. Yeah. So anyways, this was a sombering story for what well, have you heard about? Cause I had not heard about those until I looked it up. No, it totally blew my mind. Not going to lie. Yeah. You know, and it is, you know, we have a really dark history. Like we're not perfect, but we do need to talk about this. Like it is ugly, but how else are we going to learn and move forward if we don't talk about these things? Exactly. Acknowledge them. Exactly. And it's not about erasing other past history or anything. It's about bringing together the full story. For sure. Because if you don't have the full story, then how do you make a good conclusion or have an opinion about something? Like there's always two sides to every story and then there's the truth. Yeah. And I feel that we've only really been listening to one side of a story. We really have. So any ending remarks? Oh, this totally blew my mind. <laughs> it totally did. I was like, I had like you said, I had no idea this existed until you brought it up. And I was like, what? It's what I'm here for. Enlightening the world. One history fact at a time. Today I learned. <laughs> Today on Courtney's podcast, I learned about things that nobody taught me, but I definitely had to learn. I had to learn about a whole bunch of random shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I digress. I grew up here in Texas. So it was like the Alamo. <laughs> and why did Texas fight for his independence from Mexico? To own slaves. Mm-hmm. That's another day for another podcast for people that are in denial about why Texas wanted their independence. <laughs> and that I'm your host, Courtney. And that's another episode of But Have You Heard About? And I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye. <laughs>